0: I haven't been home to Omaha in four years. It's four years too long. And a lot's happened to me, a lot I haven't told family about. It's time to end that cycle. I haven't seen Omaha, Nebraska since my grandfather died in 2018. And at the time, I was still trying to figure out who I was. And in that time... I figured out who I am. and I figured out what my purpose is. I'm going forward in that. My coming out happened on August 11th, 2022. It began in a hotel room in Omaha, Nebraska. The headquarters hotel of our family reunion that was coming up that weekend. The memorial service for our dear grandmother happening the next day I'm sitting face to face with my cousin Mark drove all the way up from Atlanta for this and I looked up to Mark growing up Mark was my boy and now Mark has to look at me and is like wait a minute the little tyke I grew up with is a woman he hadn't seen me in four years he hadn't seen me through the steps I had taken in my transition, I had a world of fear. And he looked at me and said, "Bam, I'm just glad you're here, and I'm glad you are you. And look, I live in Atlanta. I've seen all this before. This ain't nothing but a thing. I love you. I accept you. Then a few hours later, I'm sitting in the wine cellar, my cousin Tiers' lounge in Omaha. And I have so many cousins and friends, people I grew up with, and we're all sitting around, we're talking, we're laughing, we're reminiscing about the good times. My cousin's running, and Tanya coming in from California, they saw me, and they're embracing me and said, fam, we love you and they're asking questions my cousin Courtney comes up and says hey there's a lot of people out here not living their truth I'm proud you're living yours and there was my cousin Mark my other cousin Mark cousin David flew in from Arizona and my cousin Tier, like I said he owns the bar and my cousin Ira now my cousin Ira and I growing up we were like siblings all these cats were like siblings and these were my boys and now they find out that something's changed and again there was a little bit of that fear but that fear melted away because well they had jokes Ira began Ira opened up he opened right up he says okay the flare jeans the bugle boy jeans are those bugle boy jeans you're wearing he is he's getting on me about this and everybody's having a good laugh and they were like, we love you, we accept you, but we have to give you a little bit of the business now. But there was no malice. There was no transphobia. Just loving on their cousin Carly. And it extended to the next day. As we laid our grandmother to rest. They surrounded me. And they said, we love you, fam. And we're just glad you are you. And do a side note. I was embraced and accepted, especially for the cats I was closest to. All black, cisgender, heterosexual men. Don't believe you everything you hear about them. Hashtag just saying. Transphobia and homophobia need not run in families everyone should have a coming out, like the one that I was blessed to have. Hello again everybody, I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb and this is the Transporter Room, the intersection of sports, transness, sci-fi, gaming, all things nerd and geek, and a lot of other stuff. And this, call this our coming out day special edition, because we're coming off coming out day and for those who took this day as their opportunity to step forward and tell people closest to them who they are and to those who decided it's not their time yet. Either way, just know that there's a whole community who embraces you. For myself, the story that you heard at the beginning. Of the podcast. Yes that was my story. And that happened just this past August. It's all true. And I can tell you. Even through the fear. Looking back on it. It feels like a big weight. Got lifted off my shoulders. Because now. Everybody knows the tea. The tea is spilt, and We can move forward together. It's in that spirit. That we have a special guest and she's been in the news really recently. Last week, she took a massive leap forward in front of a large audience. Her special story's coming up a little bit later. But we open up with an update on our guest last week. Lansing Community College head women's basketball coach, Lane Ingram. Now, Lane was on the Dr. Phil show last Friday, and last week, Coach Ingram told us what he hoped his appearance would yield. Part of what I wanted to do was, you know, listen, but also call out things that I didn't agree with and also make sure to tell people this is the actual other side of what it's like. And here's the truth as far as I know it. Um, And I hope that that's how it comes across. Unfortunately, there are hopes and then there's reality. And the reality is. Coach Ingram was throwing against the stack deck. To begin with, consider the other members of this discussion panel Nancy Hogshead Maycar, head of the Cisgender Women's Sports Policy Working Group, Harvard researcher Carol Hoven, and former University of Kentucky swimmer and now Republican mouthpiece and spoil sport, Riley Gaines. And then, and even Dr. Phil McGraw himself was kind of in from the other side when he said during the show, "quote a person can be opposed to trans athletes and not be transphobic. Now, Dr. Phil, two things. Number one, let's quit saying trans athletes when you know you're talking about transgender women. And that's what the entire show Friday was about. Don't kid yourself and don't lie to the audience. And number two, You're opposed to trans athletes, and you said so. And you say you're not transphobic? Well, you could have fooled me when you put three transphobes on the show. Now, what do these three cisgender women have in common? They were all at the Independent Council on Women's Sports Conference in Las Vegas back in June, also known as Transphobapalooza. All of them. And in the case of Perhaps Nancy Hogshead-Makar, who is a Title IX lawyer, considers herself a feminist, but she's standing in simpatico with people like Christiana Kiefer, one of the legal, I'll call it, character assassins for the Alliance Defending Freedom. Oh, by the way, the ADF was all over that conference, as were a number of conservative groups, the same groups that have opposed everything that Nancy Hogshead-Makar has ever fought for, Everything that Carol Hovind's ever fought for. And these are the people that these three women are standing with. And you say you're not transphobic. Are you sure? Coach Ingram, classy as he was, was able to make a few points, but didn't get nearly as much speaking time as the other three panelists. He was often either interrupted when trying to make a point, at one point, Riley Gaines just went went out and just, like, rudely just stepped on the point he was trying to make. And by the way, there were no trans women in this discussion. Yet, that's who we were talking about. Why didn't we hear from them? Oh, that's right. Weren't on the show. Now, I'm not sure if they weren't invited or not, but, I mean, that's a big faux pas. Especially when you had Riley Gaines, once again, using Leah Thomas as a piñata, and misgendering her throughout the entire show, the same way Nancy Hogshead-Makar did, and Carol Hoven did, even though Dr. Hoven was trying to make it sound respectable. And oh, just a note about Hogshead-Makar. Tweet from her five years ago. Women's athletics welcomes all women and girls, including transgender women and girls. That was in 2017. This was another tweet. Maybe four or five days ago. Yup, it, can, it can't only be that trans-identifying male athletes who are very poor at a sport get to play in a girls category. Anything else you had to say got nullified by trans-identifying males. Hmm, where have we heard that phrase before? I don't know. We heard it from people like Kelly Jean Keane. Nancy, counselor, you're getting more turf every day. Keep it up, you'll catch up at least to Riley Gaines, who again has been stumping for a lot of candidates across this country that are using transphobia to get votes. Even the way Coach Ingram was introduced showed that in some ways this was a setup. Dr. Phil gave glowing introductions to the other three panelists, lauded their achievements. Coach Ingram was known as transgender basketball coach. Never mind that he was a successful division 1 college athlete. Never mind he's a local legend in Lansing, Michigan. Never mind that he's now the head women's basketball coach at a community college in Lansing, Michigan. All he was was transgender basketball coach. Once again, a trans person goes into a mostly cis forum and they're immediately demeaned and dehumanized in the same fashion that the term trans-athletes does, when you know you're talking about specific people. But as bad as this was, and it was pretty bad, it wasn't the most egregious example of the cisgender press getting it all wrong. I give you Politico's article back on October 10th, it was entitled, Democrats Aren't Eager to Talk About Transgender Athletes the GOP Can't Get Enough. Basically, it's a story about how the whole issue of transgender inclusion in sports has become this election year hot-button issue. And the common denominator about this article in Politico is, is with the exception of a video piece that included... Sel- Delaware State Senator Sarah McBride who most people will probably skip over as they're scrolling over this article not a single transgender voice was quoted in this Like, if they really wanted to they could have just lifted a quote from the video thing that they put in the middle of it and just and immediately would at least had one trans voice but it was a lot of cisgender people talking about transgender people and most of those voices are are Cisgender people believe that transgender people really shouldn't exist. I.e., a lot of voices, a lot of publican voices, who feel that transgender people shouldn't exist. But then again, kind of is their campaign slogan transphobia for a stronger America. And you wonder why a lot of transgender people really don't trust the cisgender dominated press and we don't even read the comments and that's the red alert klaxon you know what that means, we gotta take a little break give love to the sponsors but when we come back coming out day goes into overtime with a special guest with a special story someone who's a journalist like me who's trans like me and she stepped forward in a big way we'll have her story next I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb this is the transporter room, stay with us And welcome back to the Transporter Room. I'm your host, Carly Chardonnay Webb. And our guest this week is somebody who's, I'm going to say it, if you need a jolt of trans joy, this story will give you that. But in some ways, this story begins with, imagine if you will, a 23-year-old rookie in the news business doing the on-air thing at a television station in the Midwest. They're reporting, they're doing a little anchoring, but at the same time as they're pursuing their dream, deep down inside in places they perhaps didn't want to go to at a party, something's not quite right. And it took this particular person 23 years to truly figure out what that was. Now fast forward to last week. This same person, now older, now wiser, now a lot happier and living in their truth, got a hold of a story out of Des Moines, Iowa, where a 24-year-old young cub news reporter stepped in to herself. And is now not only performing the craft, they're performing the craft authentically. Both of these stories are true. Because both of the people who are being described are here in this forum. The first one was me and the second one is a young woman named Nora Reichart. Now Nora is a reporter at WOI in Des Moines, Iowa, one of the flagship stations in, in broadcasting in the Farm Belt in the deep Midwest. The station's been around since 1950. It was the first station in our country that was owned by an educational institution. Iowa State University owned the station and then sold it in 1994. Well, Reichhart is a part of that tradition in a very special way. Last week, Nora Reichardt stepped into the mic, stepped onto the forum, and across Central Iowa, she affirmed that, yes, I am transgender, I am a woman, and I'm local, live, late-breaking And I'm on top of my game because I'm playing the game as myself. Like I said, you need a joy to trans joy. Here it is. Nora Reichert, welcome to the transporter
1: room. Energize. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here.
0: What's something recently that you've been covering that you've really been sinking your teeth into?
1: Oh, honestly, recently, it's hard to say because for the the purposes of me getting ready to be out on air, I was gone for, for about two and a half weeks in the lead up to it. And in many ways, I was just working on unplugging during that time, just trying to take a step back from feeling like I had to know everything in the Metro all the time. So as I've just leapt back this week, a lot of it has been getting into okay, I need to catch up on the going-ons around the Metro. And one thing that we've been working on a lot is localizing the recent hurricane Ian and Fiona. When I was out on Wednesday shooting my story, it was the first one that I got to go out and shoot after the announcement about me coming out. Uh, I was over at a local middle school getting to talk with students and a teacher over there who were organizing a, a supply drive or raising money rather for for Puerto Rico after Fiona hit and getting to talk to them about why that is a cause that should be on people's radars, even in stuff, even a place like Iowa, where Puerto Rico is over 2,000 miles away. And getting to just talk with them about that and see here's why we care was an amazing first story back. And I'm so grateful that I got to see that generosity in action.
0: Now you've been reporting at WOI, Local 5 rather, since, 2021. You've been in this game for a minute. Why be it in this crazy business? Why? What draws you to it?
1: Honestly, that's a that's a great question, and it's it's a job that keeps me that keeps me engaged. I never ever have the same day twice, and that's my favorite thing about it. I used to work as a copy editor, and I was good at that. I'm very good at grammar. I'm very good at just putting that eye to things of seeing. Okay, here's all the minute changes that we need to make. But it was also a job that just had me sitting at a desk for six hours a day, hurting my eyes, trying to squint at spreads the whole time and just underlining things that need to be capitalized and whatnot. And I just realized I didn't really find that fulfilling. So getting to go into broadcast news and as busy as it's kept me, I just have built so many different skills between the fact that I'm shooting almost all of my own stuff, I'm editing it too. I'm usually pitching my own stories. I'm writing all these things together. It's it's a lot of different things for sure. And my deadlines can definitely get heavy sometimes, but it just keeps me so busy and keeps me interacting with so many people around the state of Iowa. I just, I love what I get to do and I'm glad that I get to keep doing it.
0: You and I are truly kinder. we're truly sisters because I remember being a one person band. <laughs> one thing though, Aren't you glad the cameras are lighter?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm very fortunate about that. I don't have to lug film or anything around that with me. I just have a nice little SD card I can keep in there. I've definitely got a decent shoulder workout over the last year just keeping my tripod mounted up on it, but nothing nothing too excessive. They've certainly managed to make those a little easier for us over the years.
0: Tell me about it. You try try lugging a Umatic through a cornfield. <laughs> I had that experience. But one thing there was a story that you did. I think it was earlier this year when you were covering transgender day of visibility. What was that like for you? What did that feel like to cover that knowing that you're dealing with all this in your head and it's coming to that and it's coming to that point of I can't keep being I can't keep seeing dead name on the chiron. What was that like?
1: Yeah, I have actually I've done quite a few uh, trans specific stories before I was publicly out, and you're right, that was totally always a factor because it's not something you can hide from, and it's just it definitely guided me wanting to do those stories. It guided me wanting to do those stories well. Just because I also know that oftentimes to get newsrooms to want to bite on stories like those, you really have to push a little bit harder and explain here's why this is still valuable for an audience at home that might not be as familiar with this type of thing. So even if I wasn't able to put the the name on the work that I might have wanted to, it still was very much coming from who I really am. And I put that type of of focus into it and just wanting that the people I was talking to, to feel like I cared and was trying to get those stories out there. And I'm very, very grateful that they, they were willing to.
0: Now, as far as the process in the station, walk me through it. What was it like for you to come out and get from, in a sense, get from A to B to T while also being a part of this news team and being a part of a newsroom?
1: Yeah, it's it, it this has been an ongoing process for literally god, I want to say the first former coworker that I came out out to with the intention of like hey, I want to make this change in in my in the newsroom, do you think you could help me figure out how to do it was back in April. So that was about 6 months ago now. And then I was just figuring a lot of stuff out still in my personal life and just trying to make sure that I felt like I liked how, how Nora looked. I felt confident in that presentation so that I could make that leap. And I, the, first, the first current person I told at the station was in, was in July. And I basically, that was my executive producer. And I just came to him and he has, has been phenomenal. He, he's been an amazing supportive resource since literally day one. And just coming to him and saying like, hey, I'm having a really hard time and here's why. And it's, I'm trans and I'm not getting to be trans on air, even though I am everywhere else. And I would like to make that change in the not too distant future. And so from there, it was just a gradual process of me preparing more and more outside of work, getting as much set up as I can. And then shortly before the Iowa State Fair this year is about when I was working with management to just decide, okay, here's the dates I have in mind for my leave absence. And then after that, my intention is that everything I will, I will publish for us after I come back is just going to be under norm, and we can move forward accordingly and so that all reached its climax well last week, and just seeing that story finally brought to to air has been the greatest project of my life my My friend, former coworker Eva Anderson, who shot the story when she had first volunteered to. To be the one to do it, I just leapt at the chance to give it to her. Eva is truly one of the greatest storytellers I've gotten to know through this career. And seeing how everything turned out, I just, I can't imagine putting the story in better hands. She just truly exceeded my wildest expectations for it.
0: Well, now that's one thing. How did you get Eva on
1: board? Yeah, so... It it was definitely a, a collaborative effort. Eva, so she used to work at WOI, which is where I first met her. When I, when I was first starting out at the station, she was there and immediately was was one of my biggest mentors there as I was getting into the industry. She got the care job, which was like a dream for her. She'd always wanted to work at that station. So we'd stayed in touch at, after she would left. She, I think, she just crossed a year there. She's she's been working for care for quite a while.
0: I'm, I'm looking at the Twitter. Looking at the tweet, one year ago, I started my dream job. it's still my dream job, and I'm on my one year anniversary at KARE, and I'm working on a story at my former station in Iowa. We are Iowa Five News. She's like hinting at it and not te- and not letting the cat out of the bag yet good good on you, Ava. good on you.
1: No, but she was she was great
0: I want I to I know this for you anything else? What was it like when? You walked into a court. walked into a courthouse or a courtroom, however they do it in Iowa, and you walked out. I am Nora Reichardt forever.
1: Uh, it's it's weird because in Iowa it they've just made it all digital so it felt like way less of a moment than i otherwise would have wanted it to be because i totally had that expectation of yeah i, I need to go file some paperwork go to the courthouse but really i i was able to do all of it aside from i had to have my parents send me uh, a scan of my birth certificate so that i could submit that with it but other than that i just did everything at the same desk where i'm doing this interview Uh, just getting all the paper all the paperwork ready because you can fill it out all digitally submit it through the courts there pay the filing fees so it it was very weird to just be sitting in my bedroom and realize oh the paperwork's in like it'll take a few days but that's it i'm i finally felt like that was it was such an appropriate way i think for me to get to to get to reintroduce myself to viewers and it was such a great opportunity to center that in the story. And I, cause it was one of the things, it was the very top of my to-do list while I was gone from work was, Hey, let's get the name change process going. But then it just turned out once we re- once I realized that Eva was going to be on the story, it was a complex of two things. It was that I realized Eva was going to be doing the story. And I also found out that I needed to get my birth certificate. And at the time I wasn't out to my parents yet. So it was okay. Talk to parents. Have that conversation. Get the birth certificate from them, and then I was just able to pre-fill out all the paperwork in advance, so that basically once even I shot the story, everything was ready, and I just had to go through, upload all the documents, pay the fee to submit. So it just everything just happened to work together perfectly to include that in the piece.
0: So let me get this right. Let me make sure I got. Let me make sure I, I heard what I just heard. You took a leave of absence. You you got an ace reporter and a good friend who's who's doing the reporting on this story. You have to get a birth certificate from parents that don't know how far the rabbit hole has gone. Yeah. And you're getting your legal name change.
1: The, I Another benefit of the profession, I'm used to a lot of moving parts. Adventureland
0: couldn't do a thrill ride as good as that.
1: <laughs> no, it's... uh. I certainly, I'm used to having all those moving parts. That's just part of part of, part of of the industry and one of those skills that I've gained. So it was just, I was constantly juggling all those. And then I just, I was just, I was in the middle of running some errands. I think I had just come back from getting some clothes for, to add to my on-air wardrobe. And I just had the epiphany of, wait, this is good. Just, we can give this to Eva. Like this is, this is a moment, and then selfishly, I also get to have it preserved. Like, it's, it's there in the story forever that the shot is right there of me, of me f- filing everything and just the reaction in that moment of it's over with, it's done, was completely genuine. And I'm just so glad. I've gotten a lot of comments on that moment in particular on just how much people appreciated that being included. And I'm so glad it seems to be resonating.
0: That word, resonating, how has it resonated across Central Iowa?
1: Oh, I've gotten just so many amazing messages, not even just in Central Iowa. That's part of what's really blown me away. As the story has taken off, I've been getting messages from trans people across the country. But here in Iowa, the one that, the one that really got me was the very first night the story aired. I had a local, I had a local mom reach out to me on Facebook and she sent me a pic of her and her daughter who is trans. And she just told me, Hey, I showed your story to my, to my daughter. She has never been able to see someone like her on TV so close to home and just telling me how meaningful she found it to have that representation in her own backyard. And that about made me ugly cry. Just reading that message the first time and just, I'm so from the very beginning, when I, when I first came out to the newsroom before the story was shot, I had told them that however we addressed it on air, my number one goal was to be educational with it. And that's exactly what the piece did. And getting that sort of feedback of thank you for being someone that, that my daughter gets to see and look up to, I I just truly can't imagine a better reception.
0: I'm thinking of a moment right now. In fact, I'm looking at it in Des Moines. I'm Nora JS Reichert for Local Five News. We are Iowa. What was it like to do that stand-up and say that name?
1: Oh God, it it was. It really was something I had just been like dreaming of for for months after I had settled on the. After I'd settled on the new name, there there was about a list of a dozen I was working through at different points until I finally settled. One of the wonders of being trans is us getting to have that experience of truly choosing our identity and who we want to be. And I'm really happy with what I landed on. And just that first time, it, it wasn't exactly the environment where I would have expected it to happen. I'm in the middle of that school cafeteria I mentioned earlier where that Puerto Rico fundraiser was happening and i just there's me talking at my camera everything is set up and like you wouldn't know from a distance how how it was any different than any other reporter stand up but i just said my piece uh in des moines nora js frankhart local five news we are iowa and i just kind of keep that camera stare for a couple seconds as as you do make sure there's enough time to let the control room cut away from the story and then once i knew that all was there it, it just i was just so overwhelmed with emotion in a way that i'm usually not i'm a pretty reserved person believe it or not and just knowing that i'd got to say it and people were going to hear it and i was just that the, the little happy clap was totally unplanned but it was absolutely my favorite part of it just feel just feeling all this rushing out of me that sense of relief that I finally got to say it and I will get to keep saying and that that just means so much to me
0: I'll tell you the happy clap got me I was like just the just the pure I could just see the pure joy was there ever a point you know after the story ran and after you have gone out there done the job as you was there ever a point where you were back in the room you were in right now, and the emotions just bubbled over the surface?
1: Oh, I've I've been <laughs> my my roommates have heard me talk a lot about what the last few days have have been like. Just coming home, just constantly feeling like, oh my god, it's in the Associated Press now, or Oh my god the, the uk is talking about the story or that sort of thing and just i've just been stunned by every everywhere that has expressed interest in it and i think it was i think it was when the VAP uh story first came out and because i had first gotten tipped off about that because i was also off work uh yesterday the day before filling this and when that happened, I got a text from one of our producers about, "Hey, uh, the Associated Press called the station. FYI, just so you know, that's happening." And and that was when I realized, oh, oh, this has like really, really gotten big, and that this story really seemed to be catching on with people. And that was the moment that I started like just really. I, I had some like tears welling up and that. And I think when when she texted me, I was in public. I wasn't even in this room. I think I was. I think I just filled up on gas. And just seeing that, I was just so, so excited that people were finding it meaningful and wanting to share it. And just, there's so often just, a, I feel like when I was early in my transition, there's can be such a lack of trans joy stories like we, like we were talking about previously. I just... So glad that I've gotten to contribute something f- for that. I want to to see more happy trans people, and I'm and it just it's I'm glad that I've gotten to be one for others.
0: Has anybody stopped you at like say when you're pumping gas at Bucky saying Nora? <laughs> has Has anyone done that yet?
1: <laughs> no, nothing. Uh, nothing in public yet. I. I definitely, I I go to a a support group for trans adults here in the Des Moines metro and we met last night and I was just greeted with a chorus of, of hugs and applause at that. And people were just wanting to congratulate me on the piece and having it out there. But fortunately I haven't had anyone come up to me at Hy-Vee or anything like that yet. I just, I don't know how I would react in that moment. I just feel like I've gone, I'm just so used to just, doing my stories and going home like usually i'm not someone that gets that got recognized even when i wasn't publicly out yet so it was if if that happens i will be in awe i will have no idea how to react I i will be so awkward i know that parents yes
0: what was that conversation like because we can't we gotta double back on that one what was that like
1: it was definitely it was the part of my journey I was I was the most scared for the entire time. And just because I really wanted to make sure that I could show them this life that I had built. It's one of the reasons I had taken so long to finally do it. But then as the pieces were moving that I was finally gonna be out on air, I just reached a point where I was like, they deserve to hear it from me before they hear it from the news that I work for. And I wanted to sit I just wanted to sit them down and just kind of walk them through it all and just show them like. Hey, this is who I am. All of my friends know this about me. Work knows this and has been supportive and I just want to finally get to bring you guys into that and I will I will never forget when when they finally came down to Des Moines knowing that there was something I wanted to talk to them about and they they got to my house and just uh, I was wearing this this salmon pink dress that's become one of my favorites in my in my wardrobe and and I just full face of makeup. Hair was, was the new haircut was pretty fresh at that point, just as, as dolled up as I could possibly be. And I just opening the door for them the first time. I will never forget the, just the way my parents reacted on, because on one hand, my mom was literally just stunned, speechless, like just did not know how to react in that moment at all. And then my dad is just sitting there smiling as he often does, like, hey, good to see you. Can we come in? What's going on? Type of approach, just completely not reacting to it. And then just brought them inside, sat them down in the living room with me and one of my roommates, who's been such a phenomenal resource through all of this, and just kind of walked them through the process of like, hey, uh, didn't just dress up for fun. There's something I want to talk to you about. And then just got to go into everything that I've been working on for the last At that point, I guess, yeah, the the past year, because that was in September and September of 21 is when I started counseling. So just finally getting to loop them in on, I know I've been distant and here's why I don't want to be anymore. I want you guys to be a part of this. It just, it went better than I could have dreamed. Like they don't, they definitely, it's, it's new to them. Like they're, they're, we're from a pretty rural area in minnesota and it, this is trans people were not a common sight when i was growing up weren't really a sight, period and and i know it's taken them a lot of getting used to but they really are doing their best with it and that has meant so much to me to see them want to be engaged and want to learn more about what this part of my life has been like
0: it's really dusty in here today i gotta say no, this. I admit when I was watching the story, I teared up a little bit. I did tear up a little bit because I was like, and even more so after hearing all this, I'm like, whoa. And having recently been through the experience myself, I'm pretty sure that that the butterflies are going. The heart was beating a little bit faster. When did you realize that? you know what, this is going to be all
1: right. I I think the first one I really, truly realized uh, when it was going to be all right was when my mom was still, this is like early in the conversation, uh, when she was still just like wanting to just refer to me by my my dead name. And I hadn't quite gotten into like, here's why I don't want to hear that. Just gently, of course, but I didn't even have to get into that because my dad jumped in and was like, no, that's Nora. And I about started sobbing. in the middle. This was just towards the end of our conversation at home, because once that was all behind us, we went out to get lunch and that was much more casual and just, hey, now that this is out, what questions do you have? Like, how can I help explain what this process has been like? But just my, my my dad correcting someone on saying like even my mom just saying no that's Nora that I knew it was going to be okay that it was going to take some time but I knew that that we were going to be all right and that I would still get to have them as part of my life and I have friends who haven't been so lucky so to see my parents just step up to the plate and take that opportunity to just welcome me back into their into their lives even if i I'm not quite or I don't quite look like the same person I was before i I honestly think it's like the most important part of the story there and I just hope that other parents across the country are able to relate to them my parents aren't aren't social activists or anything along those lines my dad was a Truck driver, my mom works for for a bank. And like they're not out and out up to date with all the lingo, but they're trying. And if they can, truly, I think anyone
0: can. do you hear that, all you parents out there? Oh, by the way, this this excellent story will be in the liner notes. There'll be a link in the liner notes. So if you haven't watched this, you should watch it. And you bring bring a little Kleenex. I need a couple. You grew up in Hanover, Minnesota, far That's western right. exurb of the Twin Cities. Yep. How, how did you get from First off, how did you get from there to this point where you are now? What what was the coming out process in coming out to yourself?
1: Oh man, I Yeah, growing up it, very rural town of like 2,900 people. I wrote a a paper on the the town, like my freshman year of college for an assignment. And the title I had given it was three. Shout out to Drake. Shout out to Drake.
0: Let's give Missouri Valley Conference the shout out. Shout out to Drake.
1: Oh yeah. I I got a fantastic education there. But uh, basically growing up in Hanover, it was a town with a, I always joke that there were three churches, four bars, and not much else. Like pretty, pretty small community. And and I just started having feelings, especially during high school when I was really, I, I'd always, being an only child in the pretty rural area, I wasn't like the most socially active. I was a pretty, I, I tend to stick to myself a lot as a kid. I've become more extroverted with age, I think. But I was at a time where, I really started coming out of my shell in high school, doing more activities with friends and whatnot. That's when I started joining the, the newspaper at school. I started publishing when I was 14 years old. And so I've been doing journalism in some capacity for almost a decade now, and then got it into doing yearbook. I did choir and theater. I was I was swimming and just staying so busy doing all of these things making such fantastic friends so even as i was coming out of my shell i was still dealing with why don't i totally why don't i totally feel content with me like why don't i totally feel at home in my own body and i didn't even really have the language to begin broaching it at the time i couldn't tell you what a trans person was and so i went off uh one of my my actual, the the advisor for yearbook and newspaper, he first was the one who told me to look at Drake because he knew I was looking at doing journalism professionally. And then as a result of that, it, he got me to look down there and I thought, hey, this place would be good. And that's what got me to go down to Des Moines. And so at college, I started learning a little bit more about what that could possibly mean and it definitely took me some time to come to terms with thinking that that applied to me because i I think for a lot of trans people there's originally some resistance and trying to figure out no maybe i can just be a, a feminine guy or something like that and just it took it took a lot for me to make that leap and realize this isn't me and i wasn't really willing to even though i had mostly By the time I was pretty shortly after graduation, and I'd started broadcasting on air, that's really when I hit the crisis point of, I'm just not happy seeing myself on camera. I'm not happy going to work. I'm just not happy introducing myself as this person. And so that was really what got me to go to counseling and say, hey, I I don't think this is who I really am and i'm so glad i finally built up the confidence and the courage to make that jump
0: so how long was it from the time that you started realizing that okay something isn't quite right here to the t- to where you're at right now
1: i would say the first inkling that i remember just like talking with friends about even if like transness and, g- and gender wasn't the exact center of it just talking about my, my dissatisfaction with myself, basically, I was about seventeen going on eighteen when that happened and i'm I turned twenty four in August, so little over six years uh, to reach the point where I'm at now, which is fully out me all the time I've been on hormones for going on eight months now, and it's really just the effect that has had on me has been. Bigger than I even expected it to
0: be. Two words. For everyone who may not for those who claim not to know, estrogen works.
1: It certainly does. Those little pills work.
0: Even with all the things you've you've gone through now and being in the being in the position that you're in right now, was there ever a point where where you said I don't know if I want this smoke. I'm not, Nora, I'm not sure if we should do this. Was there ever a point where you want to say, let's pump the brakes here?
1: There definitely was. And I, I think, like I said, the first time I came out to someone in the industry was back in April. And the tone of that conversation was not hey, let's, let's leap on air. The tone was, I'm not sure there is a place for me to be on air. Like, should I just, should I just pack my bags and just accept that this industry isn't the place for me to do this? And, and, and I was convinced, no, no, don't stop that. This industry is going to, going to accommodate you. You're going to make this space for yourself. And just hearing someone else tell me that, no, we want to have you here and you're going to was something I really, really needed. And it just helped me get in the headspace of, yeah, I can do that. And I'm, and just pu- being willing to publicly say I'm trans. That's not a, that's not a, a dirty word. That's not something that I needed to hide from people that. If anything, it's only made me a better, more empathetic reporter, finally having this out and not feeling like I'm just totally putting on a different persona when I'm going to do my job. I'm just able to be authentically 100% me all the time.
0: Now, what was it like on the team, though? Not talking about like you talked about the executive producer, but I'm talking about, you know, the day to day team, assignment editors, fellow reporters, you know, that one that one videographer that or whomever cuz you know there there's always that one person who's going to say something out of pocket in the newsroom that's that's newsroom gallows humor what was it like among the team the people that you go in the trenches with every day
1: honestly like re- realistically that's closer to what i was expecting of that it was people being on un- not understanding to it let's put it that way but honestly i've been shocked by how quickly everyone has wanted to make the leap make the jump I I told in the newsroom right before I started that leap of absence just because I wanted everyone to know why I was going to be gone and I was like hey management knows I'm not going to be here but I would rather not disappear for two and a half weeks and and not have them able to talk about it and just where's Nora shrugs that sort of thing. It so I I would ra- I wanted them to hear it from me and just tell them like hey, I'm taking some time away to get everything ready to come back and be the best version of myself. And after having that conversation with our team which I did at the end of our like daily editorial meeting, I was just overwhelmed by the number of people who were coming up to me giving me hugs telling me Nora, I'm so happy for you. I'm so ex- Excited to have you back and just get to see you report as you are. It's truly been just incredible, incredible kindness from all of them. And, like, if I didn't have that, I wouldn't be able to do this. But it's because I know that I have them and that if the reception had gone down differently, I, they still all would have had my bags. And it turned out I didn't, I didn't even... <laughs> I, I overfeared that a little a little bit. The reception has just been so much better than I expected and to have them all with me made it even better.
0: Getting near the home stretch of this, so I want to switch gears a little bit. Absolutely. Cuz I know it's been an emotional like last few days, especially Spider-Man. Spider-Man does whatever a spider can. Now, Spidey's your jam. That is true. Spidey is your jam. So, Give me something that people who think they know Spider-Man get completely
1: wrong. Oh, this is... This is a really, really hard one, actually. I, honest, honestly, I think... I think the movies have played a very big role in people's shaping of the character and just how they... Understand him, and all of them in different ways have done a very good job. But the number of just like people I've talked to about like the web shooters and whatnot, because when I was growing up, the Rainy movies were still coming out, and and everyone just kind of assumed that the the web shooters were were always part of the wrists. And no, that was actually just a brief thing in the comics. Other than that, it's almost always been the him making his own web fluid, making his own shooters, and just dealing with it that way. So it's been interesting to see people's, people's reaction to that information. That gets them more often than, than I would expect, is people not even realizing that that was a movie invention.
0: So, like I said, so people's ideas of the canon have really changed because of the movies. Now, I'm just wondering, how far back does your fandom go? As far as, like, what, I mean, how far back does it go?
1: Uh, I I have loved Spider-Man as a character literally since I, as long as I can remember, like when I was six years old and just something, of, there's something just very universally resonating about that character, about just someone who just believes they have the uh, the ability to do good and that means that they should. and And that's something that I've really tried to take with me just throughout my entire life and just... If I'm in an in an opportunity and a position where I've got a platform to help, I just really, really want to do that. And it's that sort of guiding principle that really made me want to be so public with my transition. To be completely honest, it's just such a an intrinsic part of my value set. To get more into just like the 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 reading and my exposure to it, uh, the first Spider-Man like comics I read extensively was was Bendis and Bagley's ultimate Spider-Man run. I read the that entire entire series as like the tr- the trade paperbacks when I was growing up and it was just as it was for so many young comic fans at the time was just such a revitalization of the character. Just it the entire series is basically just a greatest hits of what can we what can we do to spice up the the rogues gallery and just, just look at them a little differently and and just explore that. And I just, I was literally growing up getting older, older and older as, as I was getting closer to like Peter's actual age in those comics and just seeing that Spidey has always been a guy who doesn't necessarily have a lot of wins going on at the same time. And that was just something that was deeply, deeply relatable to me. And it's why I will still, to this day, recommend the the Bendis Bagley Ultimate Spider-Man run as just the best way to get into the character. Even if it's not like the regular quote unquote Marvel Comics canon, it's just the best, in my opinion, understanding of what makes the character so beloved.
0: Why do you love Spider-Man so much? What is about this character resonates to you?
1: he he's always trying and he always gets back up and those are really broad traits that are applicable to a lot of characters but there was just something that that got me about how consistently he has the odds stacked against him so much more it felt like than other superheroes like as someone who was, you know, living with his aunt, going through high school and college and that sort of things. He wasn't, wasn't popular with, with girls for the most part. That was always such a recurring subplot until we was married. And then he wasn't, (laughs) that was, that's certainly a conversation, but, but just seeing, seeing him struggle and continue to rise every time and just continue to want to just be that friendly neighborhood Spider-Man and just having that approachability to everyone else in the Marvel comics universe. I always loved that. And just seeing how we engaged with the common folk on the street, so to speak.
0: Favorite Spider-Man villain.
1: Oh, this has, this is one that I've actually gone back and forth on a lot over the years for for a long time, I would say that it was Venom. But at this point, Venom has basically just kind of been revamped into more of an anti-hero in, in the actual comics canon. The, the latest uh, Donny Cates run on Venom was really good. I really enjoyed it. And, but, so I would say at this point, it's probably come around to Doc Ock for me.
0: Oh, we, you and I have something in common. Huge fan of Dr. Octopus
1: i I really like the the challenge that another mind at Peter's level arguably above his level always presented him and I really really enjoyed the superior spider-man run where ock is literally in Peter's body has all the spider-man powers and is figuring out why why Peter was so successful basically and he gets that crash course and i and it I always thought the superior Spider-Man was so fascinating for me because it gets, even though it's not about Peter, it gets to the core so much about why he's so loved because it's literally, it's literally auto learning through experience. What has shaped Peter into the man that he is and having all those experiences, even at the end of all that, he's realizing I can't do this. Peter is truly like the only person who could handle this role. And that's why he has to hand the reins back over at the end. And just through comic shenanigans, he's now, again, not dead for like the, th- the third or fourth time, being back and being villainous. But that dynamic of literally his arch nemesis taking over his body, but then learning why he will never actually be superior, loved it as a kid. I, I loved the Superior Spider-Man run.
0: Now I wonder if you saw the multiverse, which which Spidey which Spidey were you kind of partial to, or are you going to stick with Peter?
1: There's there's so many good ones who are who are Peter, but there's also a lot of really good not peters As as weird as that is to say, I one
0: each Peter division, non-Peter division.
1: The, Miles, when he was originally introduced in ultimate was great and is still great. And I'm really glad to see that at this point, he's just fully integrated into the Spider-Man mythos and like the mainline comics, because he's a really cool character. And the way that it's also given Peter a chance to play more of a mentor figure that he doesn't usually get great. I love seeing those two play off of each other and And I'm glad that Miles has really jumped into the mainstream, especially after Spider Verse. Like everyone knows who Miles Morales is now, and and that's great. As for the other versions of of Peter, I suppose this one's not technically multiversal, but I've always liked Ben Riley. I really like the the exploration of of Peter through. Ben and their dynamic with one another. I actually really liked the, the clone crisis when he kind of came back and was a little more antagonistic towards him, basically saying, Hey, we can fix all of your problems if you'll let us. And, and Peter having that struggle of no loss is important to what Spider-Man is. And the idea of just being able to undo all of that with the snap of a finger kind of, it, it, it didn't quite work for him. And then, I'll, I'll keep rambling. Let me think for the actual multiversal one. <sighs> the uh, Honestly, I would say it probably does. I touched on it earlier, but Ultimate Spider-Man, I think, six, 1610, just, I, I have the the trade somewhere around here. I don't know where I, I tossed it when I moved. I have the trade of just the the death of Peter Parker in that universe, just the final six issues of just, him rushing into battle against all of his biggest villains and still coming out on top and getting to, in his dying moment, save Aunt May and make up for his original mistake. I'm literally getting chills thinking about it right now, just how much I love that moment and what an amazing culmination for that character it was to get to set things right in that way. So... Yeah, I would. I would have to say it's probably Ultimate Spider-Man for me.
0: Well, I'll admit, I'm I'm going to be corny in this conversation. I like Spider Ham. I'm I'm all in. I'm all in this. Uh, but then again, uh, my spidey love really began. Really began for me as a little kid watching Spider Friends on Saturday morning. So, I mean, I'll admit, like I said, I get a little corny with it. But there is something. I'm just wondering. Peter Parker is a photojournalist. You got Clark Kent, who's a print journalist. Can we get some broadcast love among the superheroes? And if we do, would we, perhaps a Nora Reichart clone could be could probably could probably be that superhero representation? Now, what would you think about that?
1: Uh, oh my goodness, I I don't even know where to where to start with with that idea. It would be. I can totally see it making sense. Cause like you said, it's, it's such an easy explanation for how the heroes always know what's going on and, and working in a newsroom, I often feel that way of just hearing scanners going off around the Metro or just getting releases from different cities about the important stuff that's going on and just feeling like I have so much information flowing towards me all the time. And that would be, <laughs> that would be something. I I don't quite know if I'm a real-life superhero uh, material quite yet, unfortunately.
0: With that in mind, though, exit question. Because when I think about everything you said and think about the superhero you love, it goes back to one sentence. With great power comes great responsibility. Do you feel going forward by having taken the step you've taken that you have a great responsibility? And if so, to whom and what do you want to do with it going forward?
1: Yeah, no, I, I absolutely feel that responsibility. It's seeing the, my social media footprint just explode see my social media footprint just explode after after my story first aired and when i got to post that first sig out as nora seeing all of that was awesome and just i've gotten so many so many amazing messages and comments from other trans people or even even ones who are just starting their journeys one who i i got a message from someone basically saying like hey i figured out i'm trans recently but haven't been in a position where i've been able to start transitioning and your story made me believe that it was possible for me like that hearing stories like that i just want to continue using this platform that i've been given to just keep increasing trans visibility just keep pushing forward and showing what some what a daily life for someone like us looks like i i don't think we're scary i and i i just think there's a lot of people who don't have any exposure to someone like us and i i hope i can be that i'm certainly not going to say that i am every trans person there's plenty of reasons that my experience hasn't been a a normative one, but the fact that this experience is so individualized is part of what makes it so magical, or at least it has for me. It's just an opportunity for people to truly, truly find themselves, whatever that looks like, and however long it takes them, that journey is totally theirs until they reach that end point of finally feeling like I'm me and now that i've largely reached that point of feeling like i've hit all my major hit all my major milestones i'm fully out now and i just want to do whatever i can with this position to to hopefully help make that journey even easier for anyone else who's still out there
0: nora speaking as a person who Know what it's like to turn 50 Vosots in a day. Know what it's like to have a camera on your back. Know what it's like to deal with the tripod that gets blown over in the winds of, of the Midwest. And knows what it's like when you turn a package that works. I just want to say, I'm proud of you. I am immensely proud of you. And I want to thank you for being a part of the transporter room. I'm going to tell you something. We want you back. And in fact, there's a special reason why I want you back. Because there is a, there's a guest we had a couple months ago named Brittany Miller. Runs a trans-inclusive softball team out in Seattle. And she loves Spider-Man loves the Spider-Man mythos, right to doing a dead-on cosplay of Spider-Gwen. Oh, wow. No fooling. If we can arrange a, smitey, a Spidey smackdown between <laughs> her and you, can we get you back?
1: Absolutely. You've got my info. I, I would love to pop back sometime soon.
0: Okay, so so Brittany, call, Brittany, call me. Brittany, we got, we got a Spidey Smackdown. We want to do this. But seriously, Nora, Nora Reichhardt, thank you for being on the transporter room. And I know you got stories to cover. I mean, a big election year in Iowa right now. A lot of things going on. Um, so we're going to get you back down to Des Moines. You keep kicking butt out there.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This has been amazing. I've had such a blast.
0: Okay. Beaming Nora Reichert back down to Des Moines. And I thank her for being a part of the transporter room. And that leads us to Carly's last call this week. And this last call is a pretty simple one. Just like Nora Reichert did with her family recently, I had the opportunity to share my truth with my own. After a long time, in, in a sense, in a closet in a way. And I'm here to tell all of you, when your people come out, and they bring this truth to you, just understand, just like Nora's parents understood, and just like a lot of people in my family understood, transphobia doesn't need to run in your family. Those cycles can be stopped. And those cycles can be broken. And when you do, it makes magic. As you're seeing right now all across Central Iowa. Think about it. And that's the Transporter Room for this week. And just a note, if there's someone you want to see, if there's something you want to say about what we do here at the Transporter Room, please leave a message on our Twitter, leave a message on our Facebook page, leave a message on our Instagram page, transporter room 10 forward remember everything i do here at the transporter room i do it for all of you people who support us this has been a special transporter room and i was glad to share it with you i'm carly chardonnay webb live long and prosper and steady as she goes i'll catch y'all next week